Hi everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Tanya TV. In this week's episode, I'm going to be speaking with my good friend Ebony Jones, who's originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and we met when we were roommates together in San Francisco. Um, Ebony is someone who has worked in HR in the Bay Area, specifically in the tech world, and we're going to be discussing what her experience was like working as a black woman in, in the tech world and also some recommendations that she has for companies in terms of diversity and inclusion. So let's get into the episode. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised here. Um, yeah, I went to school here as well. I went to Georgia Southern studied international studies, all that, and then did a little bit of traveling and um, made my way out to San Francisco on a whim and without a real job. Well, a real job, an internship that didn't pay. Um, but that's how I ended up out there and then later got connected with Tanya. Um, but just to backtrack a little bit, um, like I mentioned, I was born and raised in Atlanta. I identify as a Black woman. Um, I come from a mom who's from Puerto Rico who um, identifies as Afro-Latina and my dad is black. Um, he has roots in Chicago and Mississippi. So that's a background on like that thing, like race and everything. <laughs> um, and so um, I'm going to just be talking about from my experience. Um, this definitely doesn't apply to every black experience. I just kind of want to put that in there that this is very specific to a 24 year old black woman Mm -hmm. That just, and to be born in Atlanta and lived in before time and worked in tech. Um, yeah. So I just want that disclaimer. Yeah, no, um, I think that's, that's great. And I hope that people would know coming in, like the people that I have discussions with in general, like it's, it's not, we're not trying to generalize about a whole race or a whole ethnicity or anything. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I honestly, I don't know if I knew that you studied international studies. Um, yeah. You know, I did too, right? Yeah, I know. You did your master's, right? Yeah. Um, did you have a concentration for undergrad in like a specific region? Yeah. So I had my topical emphasis was in um, societies, cultures, and traditions. Mm -hmm. um, and then my region was Latin America and Western Europe. Um, and then, yeah, those were, those were the main things I kind of focused on. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I feel like at its core, like we kind of just studied people, like <laughs> that was pretty much like we studied people and how they interact with the world, which was really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I think a lot of people think with that major, like, oh, the CIA and the UN and it's like, it, it can go, it's so broad. It can go so many different ways. Um, yeah. Um, and it's also like, for me, was relating to social justice and like, why are these huge, like, horrific issues going on in the world? And it seems sometimes like nobody's doing anything about it, but everyone's aware of it, um, which is super, like, related to the movement now. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, 
So, okay, let's go into, um, so what was your experience like working for a tech startup in San Francisco as a black woman? Would you say it was good or bad, uncomfortable? Like, how would you describe it? So I think when I first went to San Francisco, I was staying in San Francisco, like proper, like I was like right in the city. So it's very like hustle and bustle. Um, and I just remember like getting there and walking down the street and I was very excited. Of course, it's a new city, but I couldn't help but realize that I stuck out and like right off the bat. And I think that's something that's very common for a lot of people of color. When we're in when when we go to a new space, we automatically kind of know. We we already know like we're the we're one of few like in the space, and we feel it. Um, and so when I'm walking down the street, I got several looks, and it was so strange, especially I think coming from Atlanta, which I'm very grateful. It's kind of like a black mecca of the South. Like you see blackness at every level. Um, Whereas when I was in San Francisco walking down the street, I saw like most of the black people that I saw were homeless. Um, and so the looks that people gave me were kind of the same looks in some way that they received. So that was just a little interesting, but I think I kind of just like brushed it off and I didn't want to like think too hard about it. Just it's a easy defense mechanism to just ignore it. Right. And so um, that was like the initial thing. And I remember like telling my mom, I was like, oh my goodness, like it was kind of a culture shock in a way because I wasn't, it, it, I was one of few basically in the space. Um, and, I, and that's not something new to me, but I think it was just a little bit more apparent in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of white males. <laughs> um, and so well, my internship, <laughs> yeah, very much so. And as we know that the tech industry is, is very white and maybe not the most inclusive as it could be. Um, but I, I initially went there on an internship and I was, I think it was, it was a small nonprofit. I don't want to like say any names of it, but small nonprofit. And um, I would say like 200 at the time uh, total um, across San Francisco and Portland. And in the office in San Francisco, I was one of three black people in the office. Um, and that was eye opening. <laughs> um, I mean, growing up, I think I should also touch on that. I went to school like mostly in the suburbs. So I was kind of used to it always being a smaller number of black, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, um, as an adult being more aware of that, um, it was, it was a little unsettling at times. It was something to get used to, um, just because I didn't know how to like, I didn't know how to show up. I didn't know if I was okay to show up fully myself in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was kind of like the initial touch in the tech world. And yeah. um, I think mm -hmm. also in addition to showing up, it's like, if you show up, are you going to be accepted? Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, there's fear behind that of like, if I'm really myself, like, will people, will that resonate with people or will exactly. I be like, will I be rejected in a way? Yeah, no, it's, that's definitely, I think a big part of it. It's like, is that like, I, I just noticed that behavior a lot 
when there would be like meetings with all of like the interns and add and that added layer of being an intern but also a black intern but also a woman so it was just like (laughs) it was just like so many things already making me silence myself and like shrink myself in those meetings like a lot like I would be afraid to make a suggestion um because I was just like I was already kind of like self-conscious basically right not received well right and also from me. you wait what I was saying not being received well like coming from me right and even just like there are two major things there, like being black and then being a woman and mm-hmm. societally like as a woman I think it's a fair generalization to say that we are encouraged to make ourselves smaller, make ourselves like muted in a way, like not appear too emotional or too crazy or, you know, whatever kind of words people use of, of emotional women expressing themselves. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Definitely. It definitely is. And just what you touched on with like the emotions, I think, it's always, it's, I mean, you see it in like media and you see it like in movies and this caricature of like the black woman being this over emotional, dramatic or angry or super strong. Like there's no, like we, it's, it's like, we can't be vulnerable. Um, we have to like put on, I mean, the common like caricature I've seen of a black woman, at least it's either we're angry or really strong or independent we don't need this. Like, you know what I mean? It's like this weird thing. You, you want us to be strong, but also you don't want us to be. And so it gets, it gets really confusing of, of trying, trying to avoid it that because you know, if you, if you have too much of a heightened emotion, you, they will easily put you in that. And then it's like a whole nother battle of them just kind of not um, hearing you. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like your work was supportive of you and like your ideas? Um, or, I mean, I know like you obviously felt like you stood out, but did they treat you any differently than the other employees? No, they, they didn't. Um, I, I'm really grateful, like at least at the internship, um, my first initial like tech job in San Francisco, um, they didn't, they didn't treat me any different. I didn't, have to deal with like any like at least from what I recall like any microaggressions but also at this point I was very new in the job world I would say mm-hmm. and so I I didn't pick up on too many instances where maybe there was a microaggression um and so I think that was one thing but I I did it was one it was one incident that I can remember that was a little uncomfortable and it was I was doing a project for like doing the um I think it's like the EOCC data, which is with, with human resources that just tracks like the demographics of the company. And so I was doing it specifically for like the interns and I was looking at data from like I think the past like five years of the interns they're hiring, like at least those who identified their race and like their gender, um, and also like you know, disabilities, all of those things, um, looking through that to see like, who are we hiring? Like, who are we giving these internships to? Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that 
they were mostly white women that were getting the internships. And then when I looked at how we were recruiting, um, just to give background, I was working with HR at this nonprofit that was kind of, that's kind of like the field I'm in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was looking at where we were recruiting. It was mostly like majority white institutions um, that they were looking at. They were looking at the Stanford and like all these schools that are very much so predominantly white. Um, and then, so I asked, I was like, Hey, are we looking at like HBCUs? And they had like a very small list, very small compared to the long spreadsheet that was, um, the other institutions, the other colleges. And I was just like, okay, well that I think also could be our problem of why we're mostly seeing white women, um, in these roles, at least from those reported, but that still spoke volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't taken seriously. And I didn't push harder because I wasn't at that point confident in pushing harder mm-hmm. or felt that felt like I would have that support if I did push harder because right. I was in and so and all and so I just didn't push harder to ask more questions. And I think I didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable, which is a whole other issue. Yeah. <laughs> that um that I had to learn to, and I'm still learning to like deal with of like, I can't worry about their comfort level to a certain extent with, with these issues. Like you have to get uncomfortable. And I, and at that point I, I didn't push to make them uncomfortable. I left it alone. Yeah. And I mean, that's been super prevalent in different discussions and posts I've seen on Instagram and social media lately of like, you're uncomfortable. Like, how do you think black people have felt their whole lives? And, and also like, you're uncomfortable, keep going. That means that you're on the right track. And so I think, you know, I hope that that company is now at least like trying to reflect more and ha- like hopefully they do have someone there that's kind of like holding a mirror up to themselves and seeing like this is how we are like we don't have to continue doing what we've been doing like we can move forward and and try and be more inclusive more diverse um and yeah basically that <laughs> um, yeah but for your most recent, um, like non-internship yeah. tech position, um, did they have some kind of um, diversity and inclusion um, aspect to the company or how did they handle that there? Yeah, so the, the company that I ended up going to after, so. T- like having that experience working at that nonprofit and that internship, I knew what I did. I started to realize what I wanted and what was important to me. And diversity and inclusion was that one, that thing. I was, I, I hate that. I hate saying DNI and diversity, and inclusion, diversity and belonging, whatever it is, just because it's become such a buzzword now of like companies just tossing it around. And it's like, it's just like, let's not put this cute little word over. Like, it is what it is. You don't hire enough, like, Black people and people of color. Like, that's it. Like, leave it at that. Like, stop trying to put this, like, cute little ribbon of, like, what what it is to add to your OKR or something. But, um, I mean, it's good that they they have named it. But I think a lot of companies are just naming it and not doing it. Um, but 
back on track. <laughs> so my internship, once I had those that experience, I was I got more specific with what I wanted, and I wanted a company where I felt like I was going to be seen. There was representation, um, and and if there wasn't, I was like optimistic enough to think like, oh, this company is at least taking the steps to get there, and they're owning it. And so going into finding my next gig, um, I found a company that talked at least at least seemed like they were taking initiative to to bring more people of color into the workplace. Um, and so I asked like in my interviews straight up, I was just like, what, what are the initiatives for like DNI or diversity and inclusion and diversity and, or diversity and belonging? Um, and they told me, they, they mentioned, um, right off the bat, like they were, we had, they had a consultant actually at the company, like studying their, their bias, like unconscious bias in the workplace. And I think they, the, the person was with them for, I think studying for like four months at all levels, all different teams to kind of see like what's going on and gave them recommendations. And so when they told me that I was really excited, I was like, Oh my goodness, like there's a company that's doing something. Um, and then also they had affinity groups and, um, just to explain like affinity groups are just like kind of like little safe havens for like mostly people that I don't know how I'm going to explain this. Right. How can I explain this? Right. Can you help me? Or do you know, like, a better explanation? Let me do a quick Google search. <laughs> I just don't want to mess this up because it's really nice. I, I, I think for my definition, I would say it was, it was like a safe community of people oh. um, that... <laughs> yeah, I ha- sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll tell this after. Okay, yeah. So I, I joined, like, the Black Affinity Group, and they had different affinity groups for the Latinx community, for the Black community, um, for the Asian community, um, for women um, and for parents, for veterans. So they had these kind of like safe spaces for those um, people who I guess would identify with like a minority group and just to have a space to like talk through things and also um, push out their own initiatives to the company. Um, At least, yeah, most of the times and host events, um, do educational things for the company and like workshops. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like what they would do. What what does Google say? So that's okay. First of all, that's so interesting that I have never heard of an affinity group before. And I've been like working at a corporation for two years now almost. And yeah, so an affinity group is a group formed around a shared interest or common goal to which individuals formally or informally belong. Affinity groups are generally precluded from being under the ages of any government agency and their purposes must be primarily non-commercial. So, I mean, the first part definitely resonates with what you said. Um, But I think, yeah, I mean, I I liked your definition of it better. And, um, (laughs) And I think it's also interesting because there's a difference between that and like a workers union. Yeah. So I think Mm -hmm. with companies in general, unions are seen as maybe a threat or a bad thing because they're like, well, they're going to try and, you know, get all our money or whatever and change things that we don't want to change. And it's like, no, we're actually just workers that like want to be valued and (laughs) (laughs) and we want to be like compensated for our work in a 
proper, you know, appropriate way. Uh, so I honestly, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was saying we want to be seen as human and not like commodities or like a product. <laughs> exactly. And um, honestly, I wonder why there aren't more workers unions out there. Um, and I feel like it maybe could be because corporations are like squashing the ideas and yeah. like firing people that try and raise issues. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, should we move on to the next question or was there anything else you wanted to say on? I did, yes. Yeah, so also at that place, so going into, they told me about these initiatives. They told me about these affinity groups and I thought, and I was like, this is great. Like. Um, even before I started working there, they invited me, like, um, they already connected me with the Black Affinity Group before even going, because it was actually around the time of Black History Month. And so that was really the month where, like, the Black Affinity Group was um, pushing out a lot of, like, workshops and, like, guest speakers coming in. And so I was really excited. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went, and I go to this, um, it was a speaker, I believe it was the the CEO of um, American Express or ex-CEO of American Express. And he was a black man. Um, and he came to speak at the company I was at. And moderator was a black woman that worked at the company. And I was just floored. And then also like in the audience, there were like black like people. And I was just really excited from that. And I was like, okay, I made the right choice. Um, and it was, it, was a it was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like overly excited to see black people in San Francisco. So every time I did see someone black, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be friends. Like, <laughs> like so really trying to find um, that, that community and that like safe feeling because it's someone who gets your experience. And I really, I, I felt like at that point I really needed it. I was already in San Francisco for eight months and I didn't have any black friends there. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was really nice to um, have that. Um, and so fast forward, well, more into the company. Do you have something? Well, um, I wanted to ask quickly, um, yeah. what was the demo or the, the percentage, I guess, or how many other black um, employees were there at this new company? I think at the time I joined, let's see, at least I can speak in the San Francisco office. We have, we had an, um, we have an office. Well, they, I, I don't work there anymore, but they have an office in Denver. Um, and that's a whole different thing there just to say there's no black people working at that office. Very few. Um, but in San Francisco, it was definitely still a small group, but I think, so I can't really say the exact percentage or number, but it was enough to where I felt I could be my, I felt safe. I, I felt, I felt safe and it was enough for that point. Was it enough in general? Absolutely not. But I think for me at that point, like it was more than I had seen. And I was like, wow, <laughs> which is sad because honestly, I think it was, I can say it was like ballpark um, less than 20. And the company at this point was uh, pushing 400. So yeah. So that, that's really low. And the fact that my excitement came from just seeing approximately 15 to 20 black people is sad. <laughs> Um, and I believe out of that was, uh, three, um, black identifying like women, um, that, so uh, yeah. 20 out of 400 is 5%. Yeah. That's, yep. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Dang. Yeah, so definitely issues there. And this is, like, you know, that um, San Francisco, I mean, this is a whole other discussion, but the fact that San Francisco and the mission, you know, used to be primarily, like, Latino, Black, like, diverse, um, and it's slowly just been getting more and more gentrified. Like the number of black people living in San Francisco that can actually afford it. I mean, like basically what you said at the beginning that most of them are homeless or maybe live in the tenderloin, which is also kind of like a generally low income area. Um, and you know, there's, there's definitely, I think more diversity in, in the East Bay in Oakland and, and Berkeley and beyond, but um, you know, it's like the, the people are there. They're just, you know, pushed out to, to more affordable areas. So it's, it's really interesting that the, the demographic of like the region isn't represented in the companies that are there. Yep. Yeah. It was, I mean, and while I was at that company, I was working in recruiting and so it, it's actually crazy because seeing it on the back end of where we're pulling from, we'd, we'd open up our, like, our parameters to searching all over the U.S. Um, and at one point, we were like, even abroad, like, it was open to. Um, and so the fact that we were still only getting, only getting, you know, and that was... That was some, that was, that part was like a little unsettling at times working in the recruiting world. And I was helping with like, um, engineering and product design, very, um, very technical jobs. Um, and majority of the people who came through and that I helped like set up interviews for were white, um, white or Asian. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was just that. Um, and I think, yeah, it was it was interesting. Bloom Farms CBD makes great CBD products and they're also a great company. They believe in sustainable farming. They lab test all of their products and have a one-for-one program that donates healthy meals to food banks for all products sold. You can find them at bloomfarmscbd.com. And for 15% off, you can use my code 15TanyaLevy. That's 15TanyaLevy for a discount. I'm going to say a quick aside um, that the company that I work for currently, um, we basically, it's a corporate immigration firm. So we help employees primarily of tech companies um, that are abroad or foreign nationals get work status in the U.S., employment authorization. Um, And so through that, and also um, when I was back in Michigan recently, um, meeting uh, foreign students that went to Michigan Tech, um, it was interesting. Like I met three different, well, four different um, Black students who were from Africa, um, three from Angola, one from Cameroon, and um, and they, you know, were were basically like brought on a scholarship to the U.S. for school and um, Michigan Tech specifically. But it's like, you know, 
the U.S. is such a diverse place and there's so many Black people in our country. And not to say that, you know, anyone's more qualified than anyone else, but it's like, if you want to make, make a place more diverse, I think it's important to like work within the structure that you're a part of. And I know like there's maybe been two or three employees or foreign nationals of the tech company that I'm on the account of who are from Africa. And besides that, it's a lot of people from China, Asia, a lot of people from India. Um, So it's also like, as a major corporation, as a university, like you have that power to choose your employees, to choose diversity. Um, and so, I don't know, that's, that's, was a train of thought that I had. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that is seen a lot, I think, yeah, within San Francisco Tech World is like outsourcing uh, abroad when there are so many capable not to saying that they're not capable as well, but like there's so many capable black people that are, that can do the job and do it well. (laughs) And I think there's just so much bias, like within recruiting and HR that I've seen working in it for uh, like the time I have. And a lot of them don't even realize, like they don't realize it or there's like an excuse for why they they haven't or it's like oh can't find it's like no there's so many organizations especially in san francisco that are so actually not so many but there's quite a few that are well known that specifically help companies hire black um black like people to work in tech like engineers product designers like all of that Mm -hmm. um so yeah and all the money that's there they can be investing in like the the school system that is there <laughs> like they, okay. that's all San Francisco and I'm sure you have some more qualified friends <laughs> who can touch on that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on the education system <laughs> yeah that's a whole different conversation I could go on for a while but <laughs> yeah it's some issues um and I know I'm touching on this a little bit because it goes into the next question that you talked about was like recommendations. Yeah. Um, so towards like, like working at the company that I've been talking about, like this past company, the most recent, um, we got a new um, diversity and inclusion, uh, chief of diversity inclusion officer. Um, and she came in guns blazing. Um, I really want to say her name and I probably could her because she's, she's freaking awesome. I'm not going to say her name because I don't have permission, but she, I can say that she came from Google and she did amazing work there. Um, I mean, and, Google is major. Yeah. Um, they have a whole load of problems too, but she was, I think what was really exciting was that she, she let, she joined Google at a time when that whole like manifesto got sent out that like shook up tech world of like there's it was like someone in leadership like saying a bunch of like racist stuff and like it was like this whole ordeal um and how i can't remember the, was that? what sorry how long ago was that that was probably like maybe three years ago like very, very okay. i wanna, i think it was it was recent like i would say within like the past three years and so she joined during that time 
right? And so she came in and kind of shook up their world. Um, but then she came to the company that we were at and she came in guns blazing. Um, but I like that she came in like studying the company. Like she came in studying like what we're doing because mm-hmm. doing that initial part, like we have that, that person, the consultant come in and like look at the unconscious bias, but there wasn't any action from that. I think that was just like a check off the OKR. Um, but she came in and was like, oh, no, 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 we need to tap into this more. Um, why do we not see Black people in leadership? Why don't we see like Black people at all levels? And why are there mostly Black people in entry-level positions? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we be empowering those people to um, grow within the company? Um, like internal mobility, like what is that looking like? Who's getting promotions? So she was really asking these questions that I think companies need to be asking themselves of like, why don't we have black people in leadership positions um like yeah so and what 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 are our hiring practices what are our recruiting practices like i i feel as though like all of leadership and all of the companies should know or be aware like a company should be transparent enough at least their hr and recruiting should be transparent and like what are the recruiting practices <laughs> um and so she came in looking at all of that she just to sum it up she gave leadership um, uh, uh, like a 10 page reading list that they had four months to, I think for approximately like four months to get through. So I'm talking like white fragility. So you want to talk about race, um, so many academic journals, documentaries. Um, I think like, the, um, a few documentaries on Netflix, um, so many, and they had to kind of every week they talked about their reflections, like about what, what it was. And they had to have real conversations about the issues and they're also their own issues because you you are the leaders of this company um and you can't try to seem like you can't not take responsibility for how it looks like you can't be like oh that's up with our hr no like you're responsible too um so she was really holding them accountable um and so i think those types of things need to be happening more mm-hmm. more uncomfortable conversation more uncomfortable conversations need to be taking place um, also in the workplace. Right. And going back to the point of like making excuses, like we were done. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are done. Like <laughs> everyone's over this whole idea of like, making excuses for, you know, <laughs> oh, this looks bad, but it's this. Oh, you know, it might, it might seem this way, but it's not really like that. It's like, no, nobody yeah. asked me to make an excuse. We're just asking you to, um, own what you've been doing or not doing and do better. <laughs> exactly. It's so simple. And so if you're doing otherwise, you're just being ignorant. You're willfully ignorant <laughs> at this point. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of corporations, a lot of tech companies, I mean, everywhere, I think they need to be holding a mirror up to themselves and looking at why they look this way and why things are the way they are and also yeah just yeah just a lot of different things um and so I think yeah just more uncomfortable conversations need to be have um and yeah we had and I do want to mention this one workshop because it was actually really powerful Mm -hmm. um they had like an outsourced like diversity and inclusion um 
like company come to our workplace and do a workshop. And it was very private. They had it very closed off. No one could see in. And there was like multiple groups over the course of like two months. So there were small groups of like 20 people and they were a mix. So it was not just like you were with your team. You were all like mixed in. So I was in a group with our, with our co-founder, two of our co-founders are, um, our um, head of uh, business development. Like I was actually in a group with most of leadership. Um, and then also other people within the company um, that I hadn't gotten to talk to before, or know anything about. And the whole workshop was about being vulnerable, vulnerable. Being, and that's definitely hard. And they definitely didn't just have us come in there and like be vulnerable. They prepped us and like told us like, you know, um, there we go. And told us like um, ahead of time that it, you you would possibly cry, and um, <laughs> it's it's gonna be a definitely vulnerable experience. And if you didn't want any parts, you could definitely not. Um, but I wanted that. I was like, oh, I'm going in there. Like I at that point, I had felt safe enough and comfortable enough, and I felt like I had to. I needed them. I needed. And once I knew leadership was in my group. I was like, I need them to know like how it, how it feels. And so just a quick brief over this workshop, they basically had a whole bunch of different papers around the wall of like gender, sexuality, um, uh, family, um, income, um, addiction. It was like all these words around the wall. And you basically had to walk to, they asked questions like, um, I think like walk, walk to an area where you feel the mo that you have to, I think it was one, walk, in, walk to a word that you feel like you have to um, water down the most in the workplace mm -hmm. or you have to like hide the most. Mm -hmm. um, and I walked over to my race and mind you, I think I was, I think I was one of, I think it was maybe three of us who were um, people of color. And I think, in two of us yeah in the group in this group at least and i think two of us walked over to race and everyone else walked over to like other things i can't remember mm -hmm. and you have the option of like going in the middle and like speaking on it and you could also walk to like multiple like you can kind of be like race but also point to something else because intersectionality like there's a lot of things that i feel so i might have to water down a little bit um and then you have to if you wanted you could express like why and like what made you walk there mm -hmm. but i think that for leadership, like that was, uh, that was really eye-opening for them to see that exercise. They were really deep questions, um, and so I think more of that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that honestly makes me reflect on what my current company has started doing um, in in relation to diversity and inclusion, um, where I don't feel like they're doing enough. And what they're doing at this point is having little focus groups um, where we discuss like different questions and, you know, there's like maybe 10, 15 people in a group and then there's HR there as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's not upper management. It's mostly mm -hmm. paralegals, maybe attorneys, um, not upper management. And so, and it's also like we're, we're taking at least an hour, sometimes two hour, hours out of our workday 
to do this and ask and go over these questions and make demands. And then only after all the focus groups are done, all the data is collected, do, do we get to a point where the asks are brought to management and then something's done? So I really, I think it's really important that in your situation, management was there with everyone or the company, like CEO and stuff, um, because, you know, that's ultimately what it is, is like seeing someone as your equal in terms of being a human. Yeah. We're not like, yes, there's hierarchy and yes, like to a certain extent, it's there for a reason, which is a whole other discussion, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's about seeing everyone that you work with as a human being and not as, like you said, a commodity or a paycheck or whatever, because in reality, like you're spending so much of your life <laughs> in this environment that like, if it's toxic, if it's bad for you emotionally, physically, like whatever, mentally, then how, you know, it, it can give, it can have lasting effects. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I, that's interesting that they do it that way, and we don't have to like touch into it more. But I think, yeah, having leadership and also HR involved, I think it was really nice to have a third party come in and do the exercise because it showed like we are all needed to do this work. It doesn't. We can't just be um, like entry and associate level or th- those levels doing the work, like we all make up the company mm-hmm. and we all have a responsibility in the company. Um, and, and yeah. And as an employee at my company, having HR on the call, which is, you know, out of four people, there's one black woman um, who's young. She's kind of new, like not to say that she's not going to do a good job, but I'm like having HR on the call, like, I feel like they're just covering their asses in a way and they're Mm. not actually like, I can't really like in my mind, HR is with management. Yeah. HR is if, if a a person wants to fire a paralegal for having poor performance, HR is going to be on the call to be like, yeah, well, you should have listened to your attorney rather than listening to the paralegal Mm. and them, you know, saying this is why I had poor performance because I was being pushed to my limits and overworked and underpaid (laughs) yeah that's a whole yeah I mean yeah Yeah, HR definitely has the a bad reputation and like a lot of it is deserved like (laughs) you know like it they haven't been the most supportive HR I mean, just the name of it, like human resources, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, the name is like off-putting. Like we're people, like we are people. Like we come into work with so much. We don't just come into work with our work selves. We come into work with so many other things um, that they don't realize. Um, and so if I'm having poor performance, um, there's so many, there. there's mental, like, like not, yeah, mental health, like there's so many things that come in with it. Um, so see how you can help me with that before trying to just get rid of me and put me on a, what is that PIP or something? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a performance improvement plan, mm-hmm. like before, before doing that, like tap into what is causing my performance to be this way instead of, it, I think 
common. It's always just ready to be like, okay, on to the next, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like fired, we're moving on. Um, yeah, that's honestly, which is, yeah, yeah. so eye opening for me recently of, um, you know, why like between, well, not between us, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> um, but my, my current boss actually had a discussion with me earlier this week where she was like, you know, in terms of performance issues, I've been getting pressure from people above me that if I have a paralegal on my team whose performance is going down, like I should just performance evaluate them out of there. Like performance evaluation, be like, you have this much amount of time to improve your performance. And if you don't like, bye. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. I don't know how much longer, longer I'll stay. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully bef- like they can do a little bit of self-reflection on their, like evaluate your HR, like companies should be evaluating their HR big time and their practices and I'm, and I know, I think recently, like there's been a push to improve HR. Um, I don't think it's like, has been widespread. I think mainly in tech, because that's where we've seen recently, we've seen the most issues, but there has been issues forever with HR and like people of color and like women, so many things like having issues in the workplace. Um, and then like their relationship to HR because job security you don't want to go to HR because of job security. Like you want to keep your job. So you just deal with it. And so I think we need to not have that logic. We should not, we should feel supported. We should feel empowered. We should feel as though we can come into work and do a good job. And if we can't, that's okay. <laughs> like, you know, and you support me and if you know what I mean, or talk to me. Um, yeah. There, there's just so much, so much space to grow, which is also keeping me optimistic. Mm-hmm. things um just you know we got to start from somewhere and hopefully um yeah. growth comes from this very uncomfortable time yeah um okay so this is definitely going way longer than I thought yes it's fine Sorry. it's fine I think it's great <laughs> everyone needs to know these things um but let's go into the last question um yeah. what are you doing these days that brings you joy uh, so as you know, I have a new fur baby. <laughs> I have my Finley and he brings me so much joy. He is currently sleeping at my feet, um, his little warm body. So I think that's been bringing me joy. Um, me being home back in Atlanta with my family um, is bringing me so much joy um, because I've been away. I've been away for like two years in San Francisco and it's not easy to fly between like West Coast to East Coast or East Coast to West Coast. So it's nice to just be home and just getting to connect back, um, yeah, to, to my family here um, and spending time with them as much as I can, given like we're in quarantine and COVID is alive and well. It has not died down given everything else that has, you know, hap- that's going on in the world. Um, mm-hmm. It is still out there. So um, not seeing them as much, but it's nice to just be in proximity, honestly, to them. Mm -hmm. And just reconnecting with home, um, baking has been bringing me joy, um, lots of things. But I think the most are my puppy, my baby, Finley, Mm -hmm. and my my family. Yeah. And a follow-up to that, um, Mm -hmm. are you 
like trying to be conscious of how much time you spend like on the news on social media because I know it can be very overwhelming and like can get sucked into a hole of like wow all this shit um so how are you dealing with that yeah um I honestly haven't come up with like I need to I need to limit myself on social media because like you said it's it's really overwhelming um because in a way I think for a lot of black people it's like reliving like trauma like a lot like over and over you're seeing these traumatic things come through and come up um and you're also dealing with them at the same time and also having to be reminded all the time on social media um so it's a tricky balance of I want to be active and I want to be aware of what's going on but I also need to take care of myself Mm -hmm. um and so I I think in the beginning um like um I was definitely on 24-7, more than I think I should have been. And now I think I've just been, like, pacing myself and giving myself grace and giving myself, like, space to, like, deal with it as best as I can. Um, and I'm lucky, like, I have, like, family that's um, very supportive and, like, willing to listen to me and, like, be there for me. Um, with all the stuff that is coming up with everything, like all the trauma <laughs> that's <laughs> coming up and surfacing. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. But also it's like they're having to um, deal with their trauma as well. I'm getting off, but <laughs> I need to, I need to set more boundaries. I do. Indeed I do. But it's a, it's just a balance of trying to figure out how much is enough mm-hmm. um, when yeah. I feel like I should be doing more. <laughs> No, I mean, I think you, you basically said it perfectly. And also, you know, your last statement that you should be doing more, you should also be kind with yourself and like, that, understand that it's a process. Um, yeah. And that, you know, just being aware of it is the first step. And then mm-hmm. from there, you can go many different directions. But um, you also have a powerhouse of women, strong black women in your family like yeah. Kimberly that has yes viral <laughs> I know so, yeah um, <laughs> yeah Kimberly her, her full name is what is her full name it's Kimberly Jones she goes by Kim like okay. Kimberly's very formal it's really funny that we've like, <laughs> been calling her Kimberly but she she goes by Kim I if you see her in person she will definitely correct you she, like just call me Kim she yeah yeah, Aunt Kim for me, but she's she's definitely a powerhouse and she is just so like if beyond like what's going on and her going viral, like I think for a lot of people they see this as like, you know, she's gone viral. This is like something that she's like they're seeing her now, but like she's been doing this work. Like Mom Kim has been pushing, she's not afraid to like speak up. She has always been this way. My dad has told me countless stories of her when they were younger, like calling out people, like just being a badass. Um, and so she's just super cool. Like she's an activist. She's an author. She's a filmmaker. By Like that was her thing. Like she's a filmmaker. She went to school um, for filmmaking and production. Um, and so she's just an all around badass and she owns who she is. So it is there. I mean, that's just one example of the women in my family, but there's just so many more who are just 
complete badass, independent, um, cool women. Yeah. Love her. And I'm glad she's, um, I'm glad she has become a voice in this movement because I think she, a lot of people can relate to her and a lot of people can hear her and understand and, um, she has a way with words. <laughs> yeah, and even as a non-Black person, I find, I've found that strength and uh, the directness with which she speaks and, like, unabashedly mm-hmm. super inspiring. Um, so, you know, for it's, it's inspiring for everyone, I'm hoping, <laughs> not just... Yeah, I, I want you to meet her in person because she's a whole different ball game in person and I know you'd love her even more because <laughs> yeah right now that's like her this is like her public persona but like private Aunt Kim she's cool as hell <laughs> <laughs> well I'm blessed, but um, yeah I'm hoping to be in Atlanta before the end of the year maybe yes um, yeah we'll see but okay I think that's maybe a good note to on a nice positive inspiring note yes um unless is there are there any final things you want to share with anyone um I don't know no no final things I do want to say like thank you and I've and I've told you this like before but like I like I'm like so happy that you've like decided to like make this platform for people to have these conversations like these types of conversations need to be happening um, and not just amongst our community, but like, like we're a part of in, in a certain ways, like certain different communities and you're, thank you for like listening and being open to listening and having a conversation. Um, and yeah, you're doing, you're doing cool shit, Tanya. You are. And I'm so happy for you. Um, and yeah, it's so, I'm just really thankful to have been on your platform. Mm, you're gonna make me get emotional (laughs) um thank you that was so sweet um but yeah I mean I think uh like the more conversations I have it's honestly like further confirming that this is the work that needs to be done and and yeah the conversations that need to be had so um you know I'm hoping that as this platform grows, like more people are um, exposed to it and hopefully can can take away different things that leave them feeling inspired and strong and hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because ultimately, like, it's not going to go away anytime soon, all of these issues. So mm-hmm. we might just might as well just get used to the discomfort and yep. but also remember that we have to to find these pockets of joy and like care for ourselves mm-hmm. exactly exactly